You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. This is part two of a two-part conversation with D. Danielle Thomas of The Unfit Christian, and part one was about how the Black church tradition conditions Black women to make lives of accepting less. So if you haven't already listened to that, I suggest you make time to do it because it's not something you want to miss. Part two of the conversation is about manifestation and specifically within situated within the context of our blackness because our blackness does matter and manifestation was something that I pushed back against a lot in my early 20s because my thought process was well if my reality and my experiences are a manifestation of my thoughts then that means if something bad happens to me I thought it it you know I thought it up and I caused it to happen to me and I thought that manifestation was a way to victim blame. And I think the that was the result of getting a lot of watered down messages about um, manifesting and what manifestation was. A lot of woo woo. If you believe it, you can achieve it. If you visualize it, you can make it happen. And like, yes and no, visualizing is important, but it's m- more complicated than that. And that's what the conversation that we're going to get into is about. So I want to share something big that I manifested in my life that I feel like is one of the biggest things I've ever manifested in my life. And it's how I got to travel. And I also want to tell this because I do get questions about, well, how have you gotten to travel so much? So this is how. 2017, I had a vision board. I make a vision board every year. I Well, with the exception of this year, because 2020 was such a doozy that I just didn't have it in me to make one for this year. So anyway, um, 2017, I had a vision board and travel was on there. So I set the intention that I wanted to travel more. By that point, I had been um, to South Africa on a study abroad trip, to uh, Costa Rica on a study abroad trip, and Jamaica on a girl's trip for spring break in undergrad. But I, it had been like three or four years since I had been out of the country and I was getting the itch to go somewhere. So I put, I believe it was like Italy and Greece, um, maybe France on there. I had never been to Europe before and Italy, uh, Italian food is, um, some of my favorite food. So I wanted to go to the source. So I put that on my vision board, boom, set the intention. I want to travel more in 2017. I did not really know what that was going to look like, what it could look like, but I wanted to do it. So March or April comes around in 2017 and I come across $400 round trip tickets to Venice, Italy. And so I, I go for it. I buy the tickets and I'm like, okay, this is it. I can afford these $400 tickets, you know, because, you know, in my mind, I was thinking it was going to be like, I don't know, $800, $1,000 to get a ticket to Europe, but it wasn't. So I got the tickets and I did, I started to do tons of research on solo travel because this was going to be my first solo trip abroad. And I also did tons of research on how to do it cheaply because remember, I am still in grad school at this point and I don't have a lot of money. So 
to me, this was my intention coming to fruition. This was, you know, okay, I, I said I wanted to do more traveling. I'm, I'm about to go on my first solo trip abroad. This is it. Little did I know that much bigger and much better was coming to me, um, would, would have come to me by the end of that year. So, um, June rolls around, June 2017 rolls around and an email comes across my graduate student listserv and it's for an exchange opportunity where your school sends um, a certain amount of students to a university abroad and that university sends the same amount of students to your home school and you pay the same amount of tuition um, as if you were going to your home school. And the opportunity was mostly for undergrads, but they had two slots for graduate students. So I, the only thing was, the only hiccup was that I was supposed to be done with my dissertation and my PhD December 2017, the end of the fall semester. And the opportunity to go abroad for this program was spring 2018. And that would mean that I would have to pay tuition for an extra semester and that meant loans. Well, more loans because honey, I have loans. Okay. But that meant more loans to pay for tuition. And that's not something that I wanted to do. However, I applied for the opportunity anyway, um, not knowing how it was going to work out or how it was going to get paid, but I just knew I did not want to take out more loans. So July rolls around and there's another email that comes across the graduate student listserv and it's for a research assistantship. One of the professors in my department was looking for a grad student to help her write up um, some of the research that she was trying to get published. And the opportunity was for exactly the amount of time I would need for to do the um, abroad opportunity. So the, it was for the 2017-2018 school year, and it included a tuition waiver, so you don't have to pay tuition, and a stipend that pays you for your, your time. So the stipend gets direct deposited into your account, and it's for a research position. So you can write and do research from anywhere you have internet access. So I applied for that and got it, and then all of a sudden... And it became clear how was how I would pay for the um, abroad opportunity if I got it. I still hadn't gotten it yet, but now I had a tuition waiver and now I had money that would be coming into my account while I was over there if I got the opportunity. So October comes around and that's when I went, um, I flew abroad. I went um, to Italy. I took advantage of having those tickets, the $400 tickets that I bought. And I thought to myself, okay, even if I don't get this opportunity to, to, to live abroad for six months, I still got to travel in the way that I wanted to when this year began. So it doesn't matter the outcome of that. I still got to do what I wanted to do. Well, November comes and I'm back stateside and I get notified that I got the op, like I got accepted to the program. And not only that, but they pay for your flight. So I didn't have to pay for my flight to go over there. They also give you a stipend because if you are in another country and you don't have a visa to work, I believe you, you can't work there or, or not legally. You can't work there. So they, provide a stipend so that you have money for housing, 
and for food and to live. So I now had a tuition waiver that covered tuition. Um, I had a stipend for my research assistantship that would be direct deposited into my account. And I had a stipend and my flight covered from the program um, that was going to send me abroad for six months. So what happened was I did finish my dissertation in December, but I delayed my actual technical graduation, official graduation until spring of 2018 so that I could still be enrolled technically as a student at the university so that I could go abroad for this six month opportunity. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me after having finished a PhD program and enduring the stress and the trauma of that. Having six months to live life on my own terms, to do what I wanted to do, to go where I wanted to go, to eat good food in some of those countries, because some of those countries' food was not good. Um, But just to live and to decompress from the experience of, of grad school is something that I never dreamt that I was putting in you know, calling in when I put on my vision board in 2017 that I wanted to travel more. And, oh, I forgot to mention. (laughs) So I said that Italy was on my vision board for that year. And the university where I did the exchange program was in Italy. It was in Venice, Italy. So I got to live there. I was, I was kind of that was home base while I was abroad. And then from there, I got to travel to lots of other countries, 17 other countries while I was there, because it's a lot cheaper and easier to get to other countries since you're closer. So that is how I got to travel extensively. I didn't have a ton of money. I didn't save a ton of money. It it kind of just fell into place. Boom, 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 boom. And I hope that doesn't sound like I'm contradicting what I said in the beginning when I said that manifestation is not all this woo-woo, visualize it and watch it happen and, you know, dream it and achieve it type stuff. It's not just that. And I do think my background did impact how certain things manifest in my life. So I have a working class background. I grew up working class and, you know, class is closely tied to race. And so when I was a kid, we didn't travel. We didn't go out of the country. We didn't even really take vacations in the country to other places. Um, and you know, my mom didn't have money to send me to undergrad. I got to go to undergrad on a, on a scholarship. I didn't have money to pay for grad school. So I got student loans. So you know, if I had been born into a family with more resources, who's to say I wouldn't have been able to just take a gap year and go travel to all these places that I wanted to go to. So, um, I definitely think, you know, blackness makes a difference in terms of what manifestation looks like for us. And it's more complicated than just visualize it and watch it happen. Because let's say me with my working class background, I decided to visualize becoming a billionaire. It's, If you understand how our society works and capitalism and anti-blackness and sexism and how, you know, working class people are kept working class by people who exploit the billionaires who exploit their labor, you know that it's not just as simple as visualizing it and watching it happen. And so that's what this conversation is about, complicating this concept of manifestation, talking about what it looks like in the context of your blackness And just, so if you're a skeptic, if you don't believe manifestation is a thing, 
or you feel like I used to feel that it was just a way to victim blame, or if you are invested in manifesting and you, you know, feel like you can make your, your dream life come to fruition. I think that either or whatever end of the spectrum that you're on, you'll be able to find something in this conversation that speaks to you. And that's what let me know I was doing it right. That's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that's perfect because the Unprecritian is a platform that you kind of brought um, to fruition. So we can kind of switch gears and talk about manifesting because I know you're kind of big on manifesting. So uh, I'll start with the question. What does manifesting mean to you? So for me, manifestation, honestly, is not at all out of integrity with what I learned from a religious perspective of like um, faith being the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. It, it's not out of integrity with, you know, um, speaking those things that are not as though they were. It's not out of integrity with telling these dry bones to come back to life, right? So manifestation for me is really saying like, hey, God, this is a thing that I need or it's a thing that I desire. And I don't know how it's going to get here, but I trust that you will do things. Give me messages, send me either spiritual nudges or intuitive nudges, however you want to call it, that will help me align myself with what it is that I desire. But I'm going to release the how it happens because that's usually the thing is like we go and tell people, I want to manifest this thing and it has to happen in this way. It's that releasing part that most of us struggle with. And for me, that's what manifestation is. As someone who is diagnosed with chronic stress-induced anxiety, releasing control, baby, what? <laughs> like, that is just like so terrifying for me. But it's also manifestation. It's not just a practice of me calling into my life what I desire. It is a practice of trusting me more. And as a black woman who has been taught in every single way not to trust my voice, not to trust myself, not to lean on my own understanding, manifestation has given me a practice in which I can stand up and say, I am the architect of my life. If I'm made in God's image and I also have part of God's power to be able to call into my life what it is that I desire. So it's a two-way street. Yes, I get the things that I need and I want. But it's also very much of a reprogramming of my psyche to believe in my own power, to be able to stand up. So when people are like, man, I can't believe you just stand up with every Christian way that you do. I just love the fact that you say the things that you say and all these things. That has become, it's as a result of practice. Now, I've always been a gregarious person. I've always been outgoing. I've always been a big personality. Like that ain't never been a problem. Being charismatic has never been an issue for me. But. Some of the shit I say with Unfit Christian does not resonate for years. So when I say it, I just sound crazy. Mm -hmm. People argue with me. And then two years later, we're having the same conversations. And I'm like, didn't I say that two years ago? Right? Mm -hmm. And so that manifestation has given me, if nothing else, audacity. Not the audacity of a mediocre white man, but audacity (laughs) to stand up and and say, like, speak truth to power and be okay with the fact that... um, People may try to diminish it, but it will never return to me void. That's what manifestation is for me. Okay. And what's one thing you don't mind sharing that you've manifested that you might be proud of or something? (laughs) I am literally sitting in the result of a manifestation. So um, 
I bought my house in August 2018. Here's the interesting thing about that. Let me tell the story of how we got here. So in September 2017, I sat down and wrote a list of goals. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a home. I wrote a list of intentions, not a list of goals. I, I wrote a list of intentions. I said, I'm going to buy a home. Um, and it's going to be, I'm going to close in August, 2018. And I am going to have this interest rate. I'm going to have this credit score. I'm going to have this savings available for my down payment. That was the intention I said, baby, I wrote it and forgot about it. I truly did. And so Mm -hmm. June, I turned 30 and it comes around. I'm like, you know what? I I think I'm looking to buy in the house. Mind you, I do not remember at this point this intention that I set. I haven't thought about it. I haven't looked at it. And I was just like, I, I think I've been looking about the house. Let me see if I can do it. So I started going through the pre-qualifying process, got approved for like $350,000 for a house. Knew I was too cheap to spend that much money. So I started looking for things well below it. And I came to, to my house that I'm in now. And that when people say you have that immediate knowing feeling, it's true. Now, I wasn't overly emotional like people be about finding a house or house hunters. That's some bullshit. But when I got here, I was like, I know it. This is the house. Like, I love this house. I fell in love with it. I was like, I want this house. This is it. And so I started going through with it. And um, I started going through the whole final process of starting to do like final approvals. And the house was listed for a little bit more than I wanted to pay for it. And it didn't have a refrigerator. And so (laughs) when they came back with the numbers, it was going to be like $1,900 a month. Now, caveat here is that I grew up very poor. Um, I grew up working class. I have experienced uh, transitional homelessness. I have experienced cut utilities, evictions, the whole gamut, you name it, food insecurity, all of that. Um, In fact, my house is located down the street from an apartment complex that I stayed in, which is a time that my mother was unemployed. We were on um, government assistance. Uh, It was one of the poorer times in our lives, not the poorest, but one of the poorer times. And so God has a sense of humor about the fact that I fell in love with a house that's down the street from something I have to pass every day as a reminder and a testimony of how far I came. But let me stay on track because I could talk about that all day. Um, Anyway, so I fell in love with this house. They came up numbers. It was like $1,900. And because of my insecurity with finances and my anxiety, I had a whole breakdown. So I cried. I'm like, no, we can't do this. We can't do this. So I started going to look for a cheaper house. And um, I still was in love with this house. And so I came, I prayed about it. I said, you know what? I, I, I got to do it. So I talked to my therapist. I didn't just pray about it. I talked to my therapist. And to unpack the issues I had with money, my biggest fear was that I would get into this house and not be able to pay the mortgage. My biggest fear is that I would go through financial hardship. And so I, I got through that. She talked me through it, gave me some tools to work through, went through all the process, closed on my house in August, on August 7th, 2018. Went back and looked at my intentions, everything I wrote from the amount of money I wanted to save, which didn't come in traditional savings, right? So releasing that, that, that need of how it looks. I hadn't saved things in a savings account. I had $30,000 that I had saved in my 401k. Hadn't thought about that as the resource. I was thinking, okay, from my paycheck, I'll just save things at pinch minis and put it in there. No, I had everything I needed because I had been working and putting money into my 401k and allowing them to match it. That covered my, you know, pretty much all of my costs with my down payment and all the costs associated with buying a home. Um, so that was that. The interest rate was what I said it was going to be. Like down to the fucking closing month. 
I did not realize I had written this into existence until after it manifested. Here's what's even funnier. At 28, I told my mother, I'm either going to buy a house at 30 or I'll be married, whichever comes first, but I'm going to move out at 30. Because I stayed at home until I was 30 when I bought my house. My house is the first time that I moved out. So most people get their first apartment. I bought a first fucking first home, right? Because I was going to do it big, right? And living in Atlanta, buying a home is a much better investment than paying rent at this point. Because rent is most people's rent is higher than my my mortgage. So... Because like my mortgage is like fourteen seventy five, and I know people who are paying like nineteen hundred dollars in rent for a two bedroom house. I mean two bedroom apartment. So like, so like yeah, that ain't that's not my ministry. So I bought a house for it as expensive as it is. I bought a house, but I wrote it into existence. I manifested this house, and I let go of the how. I said all the things that I wanted to happen, but I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't know how I was going to get my credit score to what I did, except just doing the normal things I know to do. I didn't know how to get an interest rate the way I wanted it to. It came. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I thought I had one way I was going to do the savings. It didn't happen that way, but it still was provided what I what I needed. And so I am literally two years later, almost three years next year, sitting in the 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 result of a manifestation and I've never missed a mortgage payment. It's never been late. I've never had a utility cut. All the things I was concerned about and I was worried about was taken care of. And that's the other thing I would say about manifestation is that it brings up things you need to heal. When you set an intention, it brings up things that you need to heal. This is why I don't believe, and I know this is getting into another question, Kayla, so, but I'm going to answer it in advance. This is why okay. I don't believe that, like, um, I don't believe in the law of attraction as, as taught by, like, the Abraham Hicks type of thing. I don't believe that shit is designed for Black folks. I'm just going to tell you straight up truth. I don't believe a lot of the ways that people teach manifestation is designed with Black people in mind. Because we have so much, and I'm not saying it's exclusive to us, but we have so much generational trauma. And we particularly have a very precarious relationship to money. Because most of us didn't grew up working class or we grew up barely middle class, we have not experienced for the vast majority of us consistent and persistent financial stability. Okay. And so when you start to talk about, well, just dreaming and believe it, it'll come to pass. Most of us are like, no, the fuck it ain't. Like we grew up with people who were dreaming and believing and hoping that these things would come to pass and they died poor and they died without. Or they accomplished the thing and didn't have the tools necessary to hold on to it. And so they lost it anyway. So for me, when I teach manifestation to other people, I always remind them that like it's a three-step process. It's a, it's a system for me. So they're setting the intention. That means just stating what it is that you want, what you desire, what you want to call in. Then there's affirmations, which most people are familiar with, but don't use correctly. And then there's goal setting, which is what most people think is intention setting, but it's not. Goals help you parse out how you're going to accomplish the intention. The intention is the thing that you just want to call in. That's the end goal. But the goal setting is literally like the things that come to you and say, oh, this is how I can accomplish those things. Those are goals and they are things that you can control. Intentions you cannot control the outcome of. But but the work, the healing work, is in those affirmations because a lot of times we have subconscious narratives that we have not addressed. And for black folks, we have communal and cultural agreements that we haven't addressed. So what do I mean by that? All of us want to have money be financially stable, 
But we also tend to judge people when they get too much money and about what they do with it. And for a lot of times it's because we can't imagine having that kind of money and having it in sufficiency. We always think of it as limited. So that's why we get up here and we judge folks when they're like, they win the lottery, right? And we like, you don't need to go out here and buy all them cars. You don't need to go out here and buy it. You need to pay for that house cash. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that because we're always anticipating the end. And that's just naturally our inclination because so many of us have made communal and social agreements unspoken. It's just the way that we have been raised and encultured in our Black culture to think that we are always on the precipice of lack, to think that we are always on the precipice of not having enough. And so manifestation for many of us is like, I can't imagine that because I can't imagine tapping into an abundance that is infinite. And I don't shame us for that. I've had to work through it. Every time I manifest something bigger, I have to work through it. But those affirmations, that is the work that should help you begin to till your subconscious soil. That affirmation is to overcome that subconscious narrative that tells you you can't. I saw a clip recently, and I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to close with this. I saw a clip recently from Diana Ross, and she was in an interview, and she was like, um, I tell myself something positive. And when I tell myself something positive, something negative comes up immediately. So she's like, if I tell myself I'm going to be a success, there's a negative part of me that goes, oh, no, you're not. And she was like, but I have to choose what I feed. I have to choose what I believe. So I continue to live in this positive space and think positive so I can overcome the negative. She was like, but if I think positive, positive outcomes happen. If I think negative, negative outcomes will happen. It's about what I decide to live in. And so if I live in positive and something bad happens, oh, well, that's life. That is the key, right? And so so many of us go into manifestation as a practice because we're excited to really call in something that, you know, is is major for us. But if it doesn't happen, we start to, to doubt our power. We start to doubt our ability to call in the thing. And we start to fall into these narratives that follow our cultural agreements around lack and around scarcity. Um but the reality is, is that sometimes life just fucking happens. I can tell you the truth. I'll be transparent with you. I got a binder that I keep all of the things that I write intentions in, right? I keep a, a manifestation notebook so I can go back and look at these things and say, oh, baby, you did that. Oh, shit. You think you could do that, girl? You wrote that into existence. But there are <laughs> there are manifestations that never happened that I wrote about my last my last relationship. It seemed to be the only thing I could not manifest what I wanted in it. And the reality was, is because I didn't need it. It didn't match my vibrational frequency, but I didn't recognize that. And so it made me doubt my ability to manifest. I was like, okay, I'm able to do, I can call in a whole fucking house and a job, but I can't get this nigga to marry me. Like what the fuck is happening, right? Because it wasn't meant that person wasn't aligned for me and where I would be going in my life. And it's hard to accept that everything we set intention for cannot manifest. Mm. I'm listen. I'm tired of you read me. I'm so <laughs> tired of it because I. Okay, so for for as long as I can remember, I wanted a loft apartment. I wanted to live in a loft, mm-hmm. and I finally once I made this move away from Atlanta, I finally was able to get it. But because of my background and growing up working class, yeah. I had that anxiety there about whether or not I'd be able to afford the rent, and I can't afford it. But Still, I had to work through like, okay, yeah. I'm not on the precipice of disaster. Yeah. And, and and even in this pandemic, I've been fortunate enough to keep my job and still be able to make rent. But that anxiety was it's almost real. crippling for like 
it's real. For months, I was like, why did I do this? Why did I get this apartment? I can't. So it's real. So tell us about I've lived that. I was with you, sis, because here's the crazy thing. A month after I closed on my house, I got impacted, which is corporate speak for I was about to be laid off. My job role had been eliminated. And girl, let me tell you how I cussed God out. I said, let me tell you something. Now, before I got here, I told you this was my concern. I was worried. Now, here we are. I came home and cried that day. Now, here's the thing. The likelihood of me getting another job was very likely. They were just reorganizing and restructuring the department. And I did end up with another job in the same role. Um, And of course, as I said, I haven't missed a mortgage payment to that day. But when it happened, I cussed God, and that's the thing. I always tell people, God is big enough to handle your emotions. A lot of us come up in an upbringing where we don't feel like we can truly talk to God in an honest way, that God can't handle our anger. If you don't hear nothing else I say today in this conversation, dear listener, please know that God is big enough for your human moral problems. Like God can truly handle you being upset with her, you cussing at her, you cussing in a prayer. Like she understands that. She knows and is watching what you're going through. This is a natural human response. And so like, and I can tell you that because after I cussed her, she still brought me out and said, now you was going through all of that. And I told you I had you covered. And I'm like, okay, I hear you, God, but you also know who I am. You know who you created. So me and God have that kind of relationship, right? But I I want people to understand that you... Having a real authentic conversation with God will not keep you from getting what it is that you need. You don't have to go to God trying to pretend to be all pious and all of that. Like, if that ain't how you feel, it ain't how you feel, right? But girl like you, I was up there on my, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I told you I was scared. And now I don't know if I can make my mortgage. And I just got here. And like, girl, I was, I was worried. That anxiety is real. And that's the thing. That's why when I teach people, about manifestation from my perspective, I teach them building in anxiety, right? Building in mm-hmm. for what's going to make you anxious and being honest with people and saying you could do all the things right and it still may not come to pass. And then there are people who are different kind of manifestors. So the, I, I'm an elephant person. I birth elephants and there are other people mm-hmm. who birth puppies. And so let me explain that analogy. People who birth puppies, puppies come in litters very frequently. It doesn't take long. The pregnancy is very short. And, you know, they get what they need. The puppies come out. So people who can manifest in that way, they can set an intention. And within a few months, weeks, days, hours even, it manifests. Then you have people like me who are elephant manifestors. An elephant's gestational period is two years. As you heard me talk about my house, that took an, they took a year to manifest. Mm-hmm. When I talked about my job previously, the job that I'm in now that I manifested, um, that one worked a little quicker, but not really because I had started trying to leave the state job that I was at a year before I got over to the private sector job that I'm in now. So mm-hmm. almost everything that I have tried to birth or that I have manifested has taken years. I started hashtagging Unfit Christian in 2014 before it manifested in 2016 as a blog. So when you are an elephant birther, you also have to recognize that you may not be that person who does not have quick wins. But by the time they come and they manifest, you're manifesting a house. You're manifesting a car. You're manifesting your dream loft apartment, your dream condo. You're you're manifesting big shit. It takes a longer time. An elephant don't come out small. So like 
it's worth it. And so some of that is also kind of understanding your manifestation style. These are not things we talk about frequently enough. We just tell people, write your intentions under the moon, and then it'll all be magical and sparkly. That's some goddamn bullshit if I ever heard it. I'm trying to tell you right now. I'm trying to tell you right now. It does not work that way for most of us. And that's the thing is that we have to make room for that, for the types of manifestations that occur, for being realistic about how we approach it, to being honest and honoring people's depression, people's anxiety, people's other neuroatypicalities, like all the things that influence people's generational stories, people's cultural Mm -hmm. movements, all of those things matter when we talk about manifesting in a very real and, and fruitful way. So yes, you you mentioned teaching people about manifesting and how to manifest. You have a course about this. Tell us more about your course. I have a course called Tapped In. So this is a shameless plug. I have a course called Tapped In, the Art of Manifestation. Um, and so in that, it is a it's a hybrid course. So it's self self learning. I put out all the material on um what what platform am I using, y'all? It's not teachable. Think if it. So. <laughs> That's the problem being a business owner. You have to be things you use. So on <laughs> um, it's tapped in. So it's unfitchristian.thinkific.com. But there's also just a link in my Instagram bio, which I'll kind of drop at the end of our conversation. But anyway, this is a four-part course where I go into depth talking about goal setting and how it's not intention setting. Um, intentions and how to set the right ones and how the ones you've been setting haven't been working and why. And then affirmations going into that depth about how I how I understand affirmations as a rewriting or recoding of our subconscious narrative. And then talking about the ways in which you can do your affirmations. That's part four. So like I talk about moving affirmations, using songs as affirmations. So for those of you who are not familiar with my brand, I usually put out um, a monthly playlist around moon rituals for those who engage it, um, a full moon or a new moon ritual playlist, because I do believe in the power of, mo- of, of music for manifestation and intention setting and affirmation, um, all kinds of things. But then the, the cool part of that is that I have a support group that goes along with it. So this is a private community where you bring in your questions from going through this, the lessons and you know I answer them or you bring in your intentions and I kind of help guide you through them. So it's a, it's a two-part thing. You get to talk to me through, um, through the course, but also through your own personal intentions and get that support you need while you are building your sea legs as a manifestation practitioner. So yeah, that's my course, Tapped In, The Art of Manifestation, particularly for those people who are anxious as fuck. That's who I made this for. It's for people like me who are anxious as fuck all the time, um, but still want to be a manifester and still want to call things into their life. They out there, cause child, I am one of them. Okay, so perfect, and that's just in time for the like. I know people at the beginning of the year like to set intentions and things like that. So perfect. Well, I have one last question, and that's just: is there anything, uh, or is there any book that you can think of that has been like foundational to you, or or has impacted you on your journey to like you know becoming who you are today? You know, oh, okay, two books actually. One is Sexuality in the Black Church by Kelly Brown Douglas. I recommend that book to anybody who grew up church, who is still church, and who is still trying to navigate integration of their sexuality with their spirituality. Like that deconstructs so many of the myths that we were taught about our bodies and our sexuality 
it's it's not even funny. I think it's the go-to reading that most of us in in the field of theology and faith recommend. That is Sexuality in the Black Church by Kelly Brown Douglas is a very quick read. The other book, Kelly, you should remember this book from GSU, is uh, The Spirit of Intimacy by Sabo Was it a brown cover? It's like a reddish brown cover, and it's like real small. This is I don't know if I remember that one. I don't think you. I don't think you had to read it, but you should have heard about it because it was an undergrad class, and I don't can't remember. Okay, okay. Because I can't remember if you taught that class class during your program, but it was the African American uh, male and female relations class that. uh, I did teach that class. I, I changed the reading. Okay. <laughs> I thought you taught it. I was like, I could have sworn you taught it. But yeah. I did. Yeah. So that is one of my favorite books Um, in terms of just like, now I will warn, it is very binary. It is very heterosexual in its in its lens sometimes. Um, So for queer folks, my queer babes, my queerly beloved, like just got to look over it because the concepts of the book are like, I think are really good. Um, And and I like the way it approaches partnerships. So I have read that book when I think about the ways in which I want to be romantically intimate with someone. But in terms of like how I have done work to deconstruct sex and let's be let's be honest, deconstructing sex is usually the first thing I have to work with with people when they come to me. When they start their faith journey and their deconstruction work and finding a faith that works, it always starts with sex. And sex is always the easiest Trojan horse to get into people because everybody wants to talk about it, but nobody wants to talk about it. So when you have somebody that comes in and they're like, let me tell you, Ruth and and Naomi ain't the love story you thought it was. Ruth was giving that nigga neck in the vineyard. And people are like, what? Feet means dick? It sure does. It's an idiom in the Old Testament, but like. We don't always want to talk about that. And so when I start having these kind of conversations, people are like, it's a whole new world. And if I can get them comfortable in that way, I can then start to say, okay, so here are the other harmful ways in which you have engaged your theology. And how can we unpack that? So Sexuality in the Black Church by Kelly Brown Douglas. And then The Spirit of Intimacy by Sabon Fu Somme. Perfect. Well, that concludes all the questions I have for you. Go ahead and tell people where they can find you at on the interwebs. So I am all over the interwebs on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Unfit Christian. I'm also on TikTok at Unfit Christian, but I never post a TikTok. I'm just a serial commenter, but you can follow me anyway. Um, so that's at Unfit Christian there. I am on, um, you can follow my personal page on Facebook. Um, if you search Unfit Christian, both my personal page and the, um, the business page will come up. Follow me. Don't friend me. I friend requested in purgatory. I'm not going to lie to you. But all of my posts are public. Um, you can find me on podcasts at Gospel for the Culture with D. Danielle Thomas. I am everywhere that you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, whatever that's converting to. Um, I think we're on Pandora now. Not sure. Have to check. But anywhere you get your podcast, you can find me. You can find my website at unfitchristian.com. You can find the course on my website at unfitchristian.com, or you could just tap the link in my bio on my Instagram. So yeah, I look forward to, to talking to you guys and seeing you there. Hop in my inbox or reply to my story. Let me know you heard me here on the podcast. And eventually I will reply to you. I'm kind of slow with the replies, but I do reply. <laughs> hearing from you interacting with you guys well thank you for being on the show and also i just want to say i've been looking at how good your nails look this whole time oh, thank you, man. <laughs> you know my nails taste 
And it's so funny because I do tarot divination. That's not a plug. That's just a fact. I do tarot divination work. And so I record videos for my clients. And so I almost every week, there's always at least three of my four clients that go, I love your nails. I'm like, stop being distracted, sis. <laughs> but yeah, my nails are, they're, they're my fleeky, my, they're my work of art. This is what I do. This is my walking, my walking art wall. <laughs> Well, thank you for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>